If you have your Bible this morning, let's turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, sometimes called Acts of the Apostles in your Bible. Uh, this, this book here uh, takes place after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And actually the first eight verses, uh, Jesus takes time to uh, tell his disciples the last instructions he has for them. He says, go wait in Jerusalem and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. What a, um, so that happens. If you haven't read Acts, that's, it's a really awesome book. It just describes the beginnings of the church, what we now know, here we are. Um, so, really awesome book. Lots of things that happen in that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just So, uh, I want to give you a little background of what we're reading today before we jump in, because it's kind of the story, we're kind of jumping into the middle. And we have a couple of main characters, one of them being Paul. Uh, if you've been here before, you've heard about Paul. You've, we've, we talk about him all the time. He wrote most of the New Testament and all that. The other guy, um, actually, I want to keep talking about Paul because I should follow my notes a little bit. But um, <laughs> Paul previously was a persecutor of Christians. He wanted to stop the movement of Christianity. So this is who this guy was. Uh, he would go around from city to city capturing and putting Christians in prison. Um, and then God met him on a road and uh, said, Paul, why are you, why are you perse- persecuting me? Because Paul thought he was doing the right thing. Paul thought that he was doing what God wanted him to do, but Jesus met him, totally changed his life, and then he's the most influential people on Christianity in that time and throughout history because, as we said, he wrote most of the New Testament um, and he planted how many churches around afterwards. So there's this other guy as well that's traveling with him his name is Silas. Um, not only is he on this journey with Paul, but he later joins Paul on other missionary journeys. So he, uh, he's kind of a main character throughout. Uh, he's not mentioned a ton like Paul is, of course, but he is there. He is one of the, he's on one of the first Christian councils that they discuss some theology stuff and how do we want to handle this. He's also credited with writing uh, one of the books of the Bible, First Peter. So he, both these guys are, have huge impacts on Christianity. Uh, so Paul gets this vision to travel to Macedonia. This is where we're kind of jumping into our story here. And they travel to Philippi, which would have been the capital city of Macedonia, the area. And all this, this region would have been in modern-day northern Greece, if you can imagine where that is. Mediterranean Sea, north of there, uh, east of Italy, all that stuff. So on these missionary journeys, one of the goals of Paul was to teach Jews, because Paul was a Jew and Jesus was a Jew, and with, with the death and resurrection of Jesus came Christianity, the, the difference of that, because they were waiting for the Messiah, Jesus, and they would go to the, the synagogues to teach about Jesus. Makes sense, right? We're trying to tell, tell them that Jesus has come, he's died for our sins, and this is what we have been waiting for. Uh, but this city, the city of Philippi, didn't have one. Uh, some scholars believe there just wasn't a strong enough population of uh, men, because you needed men, and you needed to register your, your religion with the local government, so that's, that's why there just wasn't one. And uh, so they went outside the city, because if there wasn't a synagogue, they would go outside the city, and there was a group of women praying there and worshiping God just by the river. And Paul, uh, he, he talks to them, teaches them, and they believe in Jesus, and they're baptized right there. And they stay there for a while. Uh, they're on their way to the, and as they're in that area, they, they go back to that place of prayer to, 
to continue to teach them, and they're, they're doing this throughout a couple weeks and months. And one time, or not one time, but this, this, throughout this time, uh, there's this slave, this female slave that starts following them around. And the Bible says this slave was possessed by a demon and was used by her masters to tell the future. And she was a fortune teller, and she pretty much earned them a great deal of money, is what happened. So this girl follows them around yelling, these men are servants of the Most High God. Now, this doesn't sound too bad, right? Because, like, that's kind of the truth, right? They're the servants of the Most High God. That's what they're doing. But this was probably done in a mockery sort of way, like in a distracting way. It was taking away from what Paul wanted to do in that city and what Paul uh, was trying to accomplish. So Paul, annoyed, is actually what the Bible tells us. It actually says Paul was annoyed. Paul, he's just had enough of it. Can you imagine... Uh, healing someone because you're just annoyed enough to do it. So, but then he turns to her and casts out the demon and her owners being upset because their income was taken away. She would no longer could be a fortune teller for them. No, you know, never mind that she was healed of this, of this condition or whatever, but they were just upset that they would no longer have income. And this was actually a theme throughout the Bible. We're going to see this in other areas where, where Christianity disrupts um, what, what the normal thing is. And people get upset, and people, um, specifically Paul, at Paul. So uh, Paul, uh, the, that master, seizes Paul and Silas and brought them to the authorities. And that is where we jump into our story today. So now we have a little background. So would you stand with me as we read God's word today? So Acts chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would speak to me today, that you would speak through me, that someone would know you in a deeper way, not because of what I said, God, but because your spirit is speaking to them, to their hearts, and God, we just love you. We thank you for this time. We give this service to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, give someone a high five as you find your seats. We love our high fives around here. So how many of you have a unique hobby that you know somebody probably doesn't like? You're like, this is kind of a unique thing. Is there any like unique hobbies out there that are like, I'm the only one, or there's only like two of my friends? No, don't be shy. I'm not going to make you say what it is. So... Maybe it's underwater basket weaving. Is there one of those guys out here? No? Okay. So, so I think some of us have some of those unique hobbies. We're like, ah, I only have you know, a few friends that enjoy this. I know. And I'm, not, and I'm too afraid to raise my hand in church because I don't want to be outed. So. so anyway, one of mine is I love to paint board game miniatures. And some of you are like, I don't even know if this is a thing. What is he talking about? Okay, let me, let me tell you about this real quick. And here comes my inner nerd a little. So here we go. <laughs> Brace yourself. Uh, so board games come with 
little miniatures, at least the big ones, they're very detailed. They're, they're not just like the, the little pongs, but they're, they are very detailed. And you sit there and you paint them and you get these little brushes and you, and you paint every little detail. And then, and then after you're done, you, you get to play with them. Yeah, I'm like a big kid, I know. But <laughs> it's, it's something I love to do. And uh, another one of my unique hobbies, it's not as unique, but I love to go camping and backpacking. Now, like I said, it's not that unique, but it's not everyone's favorite. Their idea of a good time is not hiking in the woods with mosquitoes and not showering for days. Like, that's just, hey, you want to come to the woods with me and be miserable for a week? That's, that's sometimes what people think of that. So, you know, when we think of our hobbies, when we think about what we do for fun, we, uh, we all define that a little differently. Like, I like things that you don't like to do, and you guys like to do things that I probably don't like to do. And, and did you know there's actually different categories of fun? So I, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not making this up. There is actually an article in REI that talks about this, and let me show you real quick. There are three types of funds, type, funds, type one, type two, type three, and the first type of fun is what you can imagine is fun, right? Type one fun is fun. Makes sense, right? Not too difficult, not rocket science, we got it. Uh, the, that's the time at the lake tubing. That's the view at the top of the hill after you're done hiking. Uh, that's, that's the big bowl of ice cream that you get to eat. That's the movie with your special date. Uh, that's what we usually think of when we think of let's go have some fun. It's type one fun. It's fun right now. And then there's type two fun. This was new to me. I was just watching YouTube on some hiking videos, and they're like, type two fun. I'm like, interesting. And this is the fun that's only fun in retrospect. And I think I know, I think parents know this the best, and you'll see why in a minute here. Just imagine you're at the zoo, and you're trying to corral them together. You're trying to you know, make sure they're fed, make sure they're not tired. Let's go see the monkeys. Let's go see the bears. You're trying to you know, keep them from climbing into the monkey pit, but at the same time resisting the urge to throw them in the monkey pit. And, <laughs> but you're just, that's, that's type two fun because at the end of the day, you're not thinking about all those things. At the end of the day, you say, boy, how fun was that? That was the best day ever. And I got to spend it with my kids and make memories and you do it again in a heartbeat. So that is type two fun. And you usually can't have type one fun without the type two. You can't, um, you can't see the views at the top of the hill if you don't prepare, if you don't hike, if you don't sweat, and, and you, know, you hurt your feet to get there, you get blisters, you don't shower for days, you give a blood donation to the local wildlife while you're hiking, and <laughs> yeah, it's a real thing, mosquitoes, man. So. But even at the end of the day, after those camping trips, after those zoo trips, we say, man, that was fun. I would do it all over again. And then there's type three fun. And this one really didn't make sense to me, but I, I kind of get it. And type three fun is no fun at all. So <laughs> why is this fun? But it, it's the fun that was supposed to be fun that turned out not being fun. It was, it's, it's the, I don't know what I was thinking. If I make that decision again, somebody please help me and wake me up because I shouldn't have done that. And I think parents, again, you know this type of fun. Coming home from the beach when you should have gotten home earlier, you should have packed better food, and you forgot the sunscreen, one of your kids pooped in their swimsuit, and 
you're arguing the whole time, all the way there, all the way back, and I'm not speaking from experience at all here. It may have happened recently, <laughs> but you get home and you say, we are never doing that again. Type 3 fun is the fun that was supposed to be fun, but it wasn't. Okay, so what's my, what's my point? Why are we talking about fun? Why are we talking about hobbies? Is the only thing that determines what your category fun is, is your perspective. My type one, your, your type one fun could be my type three. You could be excited to be about getting new golf clubs, and I have no idea what they even do. I know the one that you do like the mini golf with, like the, the putter, right? Is that the putter? So, and that's it. Like, it's, it's just not fun to me. I'm terrible at it. I tried it once, and uh, not doing it again. <laughs> but also after hiking, if I brought you with, I could have a lot of type two fun. Like, wow, that was, that was an amazing trip, every single part of it, and I would do it again. And you're just like, I am never doing that again with him. Like, did you see the size of those mosquitoes? Like, they were huge, and there were so many, I could breathe them in. So we see Paul and Silas have a different perspective in Acts 16. So let's, let's just break this story down a little bit further. In verse 22, uh, we read, The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. So we have these magistrate guys. These would have just been the local authorities of the city, you know, uh, people that are there to enforce the law. Uh, and then it says they were stripped and beaten with rods and had been severely flogged. So historically, the Jewish authorities or um, citizens were forbidden to punish someone beyond 40 lashes. This was considered inhumane and close to death, although we can argue that 39 lashes would also be inhumane, but that's, this is the culture here. And, um, but Romans didn't have these laws. They kind of did what they want. They ruled the land. Uh, this is why they said they were severely flogged, beyond, beyond the normal flogging. I don't know why there's a normal flogging level. That's odd. It's not in my notes, but okay. And... <laughs> But Paul actually even writes about this experience, which I found kind of interesting as I was studying this, that he even recalls this in another book, in another letter that we have in the Bible. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 2, it says, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. So this was, this was so bad that Paul felt like he had to write about it again to someone else. And, and this is... This is not the first time or the last time that Paul will be severely flogged and punished. Like, this is kind of his mantra. He actually writes about that in some other books as well. Um, he kind of recalls the many times that this has happened. Um, but treated outrageously, the word used here could have been just severely mistreated and insulted, kind of added that added thing of insulting them as well. So we know this was, a, this was a serious punishment. Like, this wasn't just like a, a slap on the wrist. You did wrong, now go to prison. Like, this was very serious. It gives us a little context to our story, what's happening. So uh, moving on to verse 24. The jailer put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So Paul, Paul and Silas are in the inner cell, 
and their feet in the stocks. You know, you can imagine those cartoon-looking things. You know, got these big boards with the holes cut out, and then you know their ankles are are shoved in there and fastened down. Uh, some scholars and some things I was reading um, says that they were in an uncomfortable position. So whether they were chained also to the wall, or or some some people actually believe they were they were bound hands and feet in the same stock, which you can imagine would be pretty uncomfortable, um, especially after having them being flogged in their back as well. Uh, so here they are, having done no wrong. They're in prison, and they're in this prison that is designed to hold the most dangerous of criminals. They're chained, they're in the inner cell, and this inner cell was not a great place to be, as you can imagine. Uh, first of all, it's an ancient Roman prison cell. It's not one of those uh, fancy ones where we have the mattress and the weight room down the hallway and cable TV in your cell. Like, that's, that wasn't a thing. We, we know that. We know historically, like, we kind of get that idea. And it was probably made of stone and probably no plumbing, all that, all that good stuff that makes an a ancient prison a prison. So an inner cell... The inner part of the dungeon is some, what some translations say, meaning the deepest parts of the prison. It was cold, it was wet, it was most likely excluded from light. It wasn't a cell with a, with a window view, it was probably the, the depth of the prison. But here's where it really gets real in verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Can you imagine this scenario? Paul leans over to Silas. Hey, you asleep? Silas is like, what do you think? I'm chained next to you, and you kind of smell. Paul responds, do you remember that psalm that our rabbi taught us? We should sing that. And, and they begin to sing. So here they are, singing and praising God. So can we, can we not be churchy for two seconds? Like, and let's not be thinking, oh, that's so beautiful. That's so sweet. They're... They're singing and praising God at their lowest moment. Okay, that's just not normal. <laughs> that's just not, like, when I read that as a Christian, that's what I think. I'm like, oh, that's so powerful. They're doing it. But when I think of the context that we went over, I'm like, that's not normal. <laughs> that's not what they should be doing. It's not what I would be doing. They were prisoned. They were chained. They were beaten. Paul and Silas were on a mission to serve God, plant churches, seek and save the lost. They are literally in prison because they healed someone from a demon and they were doing all the right things. They were, they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were doing exactly what God had called them to do. Their situation is equivalent to, to us losing our job after doing all the right things, after outperforming everyone, but now the finances are gone, the job is gone, you don't know what's gonna happen. We are often left with the question, what do I do? So let's take a closer look at Paul and Silas responded, and we, we know what they did. 
This, this is why I love this story. This, this is a story that um, I often go back to. So as the text says, they were praying and singing. And some Bible scholars actually believe that their singing was their prayer. It wasn't two separate things. Their singing became what they were praying. They were most likely singing from the book of Psalms, as I kind of alluded to earlier. Uh, The book of Psalms was written by uh, David, or most of them were written by David in the Old Testament. And they would have heard these songs. They would have sung these songs uh, culturally. They would have sung them at holidays and and, um, celebrations and things like that. And, uh, and the word used to describe a hymn of praise was most likely describing a song of thanks. So one scholar, again, thinks that Paul and Silas were singing from a specific psalm, Psalm 115 through 118. And this psalm would have been a common one. Jesus actually would have sung this same psalm with his disciples at the Last Supper when Uh, right before he was arrested. And Psalm 118 starts with this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. What, What lyrics to sing from a place of defeat? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. So how could they do that? How could they praise God and give thanks in such a terrible situation? Paul and Silas viewed their situation differently. They viewed it through a perspective of praise. And simply perspective just means how you see something. How, how you view it, how you see it, and it comes from the root word perceive. And from the original Latin, literally means to look through. They looked through their situation. Their perspective was never on the what, was never on the prison, it was never on the beating, it was on the who. It wasn't focused on all those things, and they knew that God was good. They knew that he had a plan. They knew that he was with them the entire time. And we actually see Paul carry this perspective with him throughout his letters and his missionary journeys. And this is something I wish I could do, is carry this perspective with me all the time. So later, Paul is in prison again in Rome uh, this time, some years later, and while he's in prison, he writes the book of Philippians, which is a letter to the city and the churches that he is, that he is at in our story. So he's actually sending, which is kind of neat to see this come full circle, he's writing a letter to encourage these people that he was seeing earlier in his missionary journeys. And uh, in Philippians 4.4, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is such a beautiful verse to quote, isn't it? Don't you love quoting this verse? Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. When you're in a good mood, right? 
Have you tried quoting this verse to your spouse when she's at home alone with the kids all day? And then you show up home late from the office and it's chaos ensues with the children running amok and you're like, rejoice in the Lord, honey. And she's like, <laughs> you can feel her eyes roll in the back of her head and rejoice in the Lord. Always? Paul, you realize you're in prison again. But Paul was actually specifically encouraging his readers in Philippi, that those, this letter, the city that he was writing to, because, the, because they, were experienced, uh, they were experiencing persecution, probably similar to what he had faced when he was there. And even though he's miles away, he was alongside of them, praising God in prison. This time he writes the letter to the Philippians. There's no miraculous rescue like we would read later in Acts after our story. As, they, as Paul and Silas were singing, there's this miraculous earthquake and they become unchained and, and all of this happens and they're free and the jailer becomes saved and all the prisoners, uh, they also believe in Jesus and there's this miraculous thing that happens. But this time, that was not going to happen. Scholars would agree that Paul would face execution, not freedom from that prison cell. But Paul could write these words and encourage the church and us today because he lived a life with a perspective of praise. Let me read you something real quick that my study Bible had on Noah on, and I, I just love this. It says, when we compare and complain, we uproot our contentment. However, the opposite is also true. The more we praise and worship God, the more we love him, the more we give thanks, the more thankful we become. Thanks should always be on our lips every day. We can never say thank you enough to God. When thanksgiving becomes an integral part of your life, you will find that your attitude towards life changes. You become more positive, gracious, loving, and humble. Your complaints will dissolve in gratitude. Your complaints will dissolve in gratitude. So as we close here today, music team, uh, you can come. Uh, and you can stand with me as well as we, as we close. So we see if Paul was doing well, he rejoiced in the Lord. If Paul was in prison, he rejoiced in the Lord. He was focused on the eternal things that God had for him versus the temporary, always seeing how God could use his situation for good. Someone told me, it was actually one of our music team members and one time we were meeting, before, before uh, service, we always go, back, go in the back and, and pray together. And he said, we don't come to church to praise God because it matches our feelings. We praise God because it matches our convictions. 
that means no matter what. I believe God, you are good. I believe you are holy and that you still love me and have a plan for me. So take a look at this. This was a little picture I drew. You can tell I did it, not our graphics guy. But <laughs> this is just a really cool uh, cycle that happens. When we praise God, it leads to a change of perspective. And when we have a changed perspective on life, it leads to praising God all the more. I remember waking up and dreading my job some days, not this one, <laughs> when I was a physical therapist assistant. I had to deal with difficult people, difficult situations, uh, families that were hurting. There was always too much work or just not enough work. There was just never a happy medium. I also had a 40 minute drive but I also de decided to dedicate that drive to podcasts, listening to God's word and prayer. Many, many times in my drive, I would say, God, I don't know what to do with this situation. I'm not getting enough hours. I wish I knew more so I could help my patients more. But God, I praise you for a job. I praise you that it provides for my family. I praise you that you are good that you want to use me to love people today. And through that, I started to see things differently. My perspective changed, which drove me to praise God for his goodness even more. I wish I got that right all the time. <laughs> I wish I would respond with a perspective of praise. I wish I, I carried that with me. And I think that that is why I wanted to share this story with you today because every time I read it, every time I go through, it challenges me to a point that I, that I wish I could have this perspective. And please understand, this isn't a, this isn't a, what, what you're going through doesn't matter, what you're going through isn't, isn't hard. We saw in the Bible, Paul and Silas beaten. Like, it matters. It was hard. but through it they saw a God that is good. So to respond today, I want us to practice our praise. Praise is such a powerful tool. And that's, that's why we sing together. It's not because we have a select few of people in our church that love music and love to sing, but we sing together because there is something powerful when we come together and we declare the goodness of our God. We declare who he is. We remind ourselves and each other what God has done. This is also something that we could be doing on our own, driving a car alone, reminding ourselves who God is. God, we praise you. We praise you for who you are, God. You are good, you are worthy, you are holy, and you always will be God. God, my life may be unkind to us. Bad things happen, but we know we can trust in you. We can trust the God of the universe to be with us. God, I pray that we would learn 
this perspective of praise. God, when all, when all seems lost, when everything, when life hits us hard, that, that we would start to focus on you. God, not that the what doesn't matter, not that, not that things aren't hard, but we know that you are good. This morning, uh, we always wanna give an opportunity for someone to believe and accept Jesus for the first time. This is the reason why we can have a perspective of praise. The good news that we have, we get to spend eternity with God. This life is temporary and just a mist in the wind is what the Bible would say. And the bad news is, is that we are sinners and deserve death. But Jesus died in your place so we can be with him. So if you've never done that this morning and you feel God speaking to you, maybe today is your day. Maybe you want to put your trust in him for the very first time. You can even begin to pray right now in your heart. These aren't special words. It's not a magic prayer. It's just a simple prayer like, God, I am sorry. I know I'm a sinner. I need your help. Would you forgive me? I want to turn from my old life and follow you. Amen. Amen. Would you guys just put your hands together just to worship God again, just to praise him for what he's doing today.